Good morning, everybody. Thank you all for coming. We're going to talk about truth this morning. And before we do, I'd like to ask Brother Kenny if you would pray for us. Amen. Thank you, Kenny. The point of this lesson this morning is truth is found in Jesus alone. Many people have the attitude, you have your truth and I have mine. Such reasoning is fatally flawed. Two opposing truths can't both be true. Much like gravity, truth remains the truth, whether we believe it or not. We discover truth when we look to God, the author of all that exists. The truth about God, sin, judgment, and salvation are unchanging. And the surety of those truths become evident as we choose to live according to them. The truth is in God's holy word, the Bible. It is unchanging and it is eternal. John, the beloved apostle, wrote 1 John, perhaps from his exile in Patmos in the mid-90s AD. 1 John is a letter of assurance. The apostle focused on three false claims and responded with three of God's truths about forgiveness in the first chapter of 1 John. In chapter 2 is where we're at this morning. John focused on three tests of fellowship with God. One is the moral test and obedience in verses 3 and through 6. The social test, which is love in verses 7 through 11. And the doctrinal test, belief, in verses 18 through 27. It seems that our culture has become less adept at determining what is true and what is not. 40% of people believe that the FDA is withholding natural cures for cancer. Have you ever heard that assessment? These are surveys, I guess, that people take, and how worthy are they or reliable. But 27, 27% believe America is hiding a- aliens in Area 51. Leonard says they're right here. I believe that, too. believe 9-11 was an inside job. I've heard that theory. And 19% believe the government is using chemicals to control the population. Remember that Jesus taught his disciples to expect deception and persecution before he returns. John sought to prepare his readers 
for the reality that they would face. John wanted us to realize deception from antichrists is a sign that it is the last hour. We don't know if this period will be long or short. It is clear that time will be terminated and the end result is salvation that is promised by God. In Matthew, false prophets and messiahs will arise and perform great signs and wonders to lead astray. What do we have going on today as for false teachers? They abound. I'm sorry, Nicole. Yes, very much so. Let's uh, go ahead and read some verses, if someone would like to read. One thing here uh, I want us to see, this is addressed to little children. And in studying this, the one speaking has authority, and the one addressed is subordinate. So this is authoritative, what is being spoken here by John. Little children, remember last week we talked about the different phases of spiritual growth. And little children are ones that have just been saved, that are on the milk of the word. And they must be taught and grounded in the truth, lest they be deceived by the deceptions of the false teachers. So that's what John's point is. Kenny, are you reading this morning? Yeah, that's what the verse is. 1 John 2, 18 through verse 21. Thank you, Kenny. We'll stop right there. People are confused about a lot of things, which in turn produces doubt. It goes without saying that the struggle for truth is real. However, there is good news. Absolute truth does exist, and it is found in Jesus Christ. Truth is a principle, but it is also a person, and that person is Jesus Christ.
that is the measuring stick by what everything else is uh, measured by. Because of God's work in our lives, we know the truth. God has revealed his truth through the scriptures. We can trust God's wisdom and believe the promises of God. Look back and know that God is faithful to keep his promises. God's work is truth. Work that isn't from God is a lie. Circumstances overwhelm. Have assurance that God is in control. God's presence is always with us. The presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives is proof that he will certainly keep his promises. We've all, all understand and been taught that the Holy Spirit is the earnest of our down payment of our belonging to God. Amen. We have the Holy Spirit and we belong to God now and not the world. We have assurance that God will keep his promises and we can rest on these uh, promises. When Antichrist come, and they will, believers should not worry or fret. Instead, we should be encouraged because it is a sign, a reminder of the promise from Scripture that Jesus Christ will return for his followers. Are we in the last time or the last hour? Because Scripture teaches us that from Jesus' first coming until his second coming is going to be the last time, the last hour. We don't know the duration of that time, but we have the assurance of God's promise in Scripture. As believers, we need to embrace the truth and be careful about sharing it with others accurately through our words and our actions. We've all heard the old story that if you tell a story in a room full of 50 people, by the time that story gets back to you, you may not even recognize it as the one that you told. Every hour is the last hour. In the world, there is a continual conflict between good and evil, between God and that which is anti-God. And in every moment and in every decision, a man is confronted with the choice of allying himself either with God or with the evil forces which are against God and of thereby ensuring or failing to ensure his own share in eternal life. The conflict between good and evil never stops. Therefore, the choice never stops. Therefore, in a very real sense, every hour is the last hour. Since the coming of Jesus, believers have known that they were living in the last days. The expression last time is only found here in the New Testament and is synonymous with the idea of the last days. The phrase points to the imminent return of Christ and the final judgment. For believers, this is a day of joyful expectation. However, for the unbeliever, this will be a day of judgment 
and punishment. Glory be to God. Thank you, Jesus, for saving my soul. And I, I think about where I was some 20-some years ago. I was hell-bound on a fast train. And we should be excited because there's not one, one more thing in Scripture needs to be fulfilled before the rapture of the church. So it could be before this day's over. It could be before this Sunday school class is over. Don't you sometimes wish that, come, Lord Jesus, come. Come and take us out of here. Anti-Christ. Anti means against or is in open opposition to Christ. You know that before we were saved, we were anti-Christ. You're either for him or you're against him. There's no middle ground. There's no part way or kind of. You're either in or out. And anti can also mean in place of a substitute one who subtly tries to take the place of Christ. Antichrist in the Bible appears only in John's letters. Christ is the incarnation of God and goodness. Antichrist is the incarnation of the devil and evil. Christ stands for God. Antichrist stands for all that is against God, either by opposition or substitution for God. Only salvation from God through Christ's life, sacrificial death, and resurrection can change us from antichrists to Christians. Over time, you can discern the direction of a person's life are they following the Lord or following the world? I had an experience here last week. I went and got new tires put on Penny's van. And the tire place that I went to, uh, it was pretty obvious that they were not Christians from the conversation and just the general spirit of the people that were there. I, I was glad to get out of there. But I did have the opportunity, though, too, to witness. They know that I'm a Christian. So I was upbeat and happy, and they were not. You could tell just from our conversations that they didn't have the Lord. John reminds us that followers of Jesus will remain faithful to the Lord and to other believers. How are we to identify the false teachers? We know them by their unwavering commitment to falsehood and their departure from the church. In John's day, these peddlers of deception gave evidence of their real character by leaving the church. They would leave the church and go start their own church. 
There's two uh, deceptions that they taught. One was uh, Doestism, where uh, the Gnostics were a part of this group. Gnostics believed that all flesh was evil. So it was not believed that Jesus was actually man, but only was... uh, Oh, let me see here before I mess this up. The Gnostics believe the body is evil. Therefore, God, who is spirit, could not take on flesh. So according to them, Jesus did not come in the flesh. It only appeared that he did. And this is a blatant denial of the incarnation. God becoming a man. Another belief that was taught during that time was Serentianism. Serentius taught that Jesus had a real human body, but that he was not the Christ until the Spirit came upon him at his baptism. Serentius taught that the Spirit remained upon Jesus throughout his public ministry, but the Spirit left him before the crucifixion, since the Spirit could not be associated with suffering. These are false teachings. What does God's holy word teach us? It doesn't teach that. So you can't fit uh, your belief system to fit you what doth say the word of God. And that's what we need to go by. Let's go ahead and read some more verses if someone would like to. What do believers have that they would not be deceived by these false teachings? Remember, they have heard the truth first and from the beginning. So don't follow after anything from other than the original message uh, which you heard. The Holy Spirit is the seal of our salvation and shows us that we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit reminds us of Jesus' words and help us understand God's truth. Where it, it says here, let that therefore abide in you. What does abide mean? 
It means to, to remain. So the original teaching should remain with you. The false teachers or antichrist are liars because they deny that Jesus is the divine son of God. To deny the son is also to deny the father. Now the Holy Spirit will reveal all things to us. That's what the unction was talking about back here. Is an action or process or a state of being of having the Holy Spirit live in a person and impacting his or her life. The Holy Spirit will reveal to us and teach us, but what do, what do we have to do? It's not automatic. You've got to spend time in God's word. You've got to hear God's word preached. You have to, and that's what it's talking about abiding in this teaching is that you spend time with it and spend time in God's word so that when you are challenged with something that is a deception you'll know and recognize because the Holy Spirit will set set that red light off in your mind and you'll know but how are you going to know if you don't spend any time in God's word go ahead Ronnie I don't know if I've ever had that experience. We know that God's word teaches us in John 14, 6, that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father by me. So anyone that claims to have a relationship with God and they have not the Son, Jesus Christ, they're a liar. Because the only way to God the Father is through the Son, uh, Jesus Christ. The proof of true salvation is not just believing the right thing. Conforming to the doctrine is not enough. Our belief should translate into right living. Are you being changed and transformed by knowing and believing this truth? Are you applying it to your life? Is it how you live now according to what God's word uh, teaches? We are to pursue righteousness in light of the imminent return of Christ. John mentioned the return of Christ to motivate his readers to righteous living. Our attitude toward Christ's second coming says a lot about our spiritual state. I don't want to die. I, you know... But I'm ready for the Lord to come back. And I surely hope that there's going to be a lot of friends and family members uh, give their hearts and lives to the Lord uh, before that happens. The truth enables us to live in a way that pleases God. 
Truth paves the road to freedom. Our freedom is not to do what we want, but to live as we ought when we become children of God. We're no longer slaves to sin, but we are children of God and to live for him. It's exciting to live for God now. And the emptiness of the world, you can have it. Been there, done that, seen that. The world paints a pretty picture, but it's never enough. What satisfies your soul is that relationship with God where you can lay down at night and thank him and praise him for giving you another day and uh, blessing you. Living in the truth leads us to live righteously. If we claim to know the truth, our lives should reflect it. In John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32, if you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. John describes four reasons to hold fast to the teaching given by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit's anointing of the Christian is the sufficient source for knowledge. John wrote, ye need not that any man teach you. The Holy Spirit's anointing teaches believers all of all things. The Holy Spirit teaches teaching is no lie. This is in contrast to the false teachers John opposed. And the Holy Spirit's preservation helped genuine believers to remain in the church, not to leave as the false teachers had. At the end of the verse, John reinforced God's command that the Holy Spirit had taught them, abide in him, or it means to reside in him. John did not want the believers to listen to the false teachers and be influenced by them. Following God's truth leads to righteous living. We are to wisely and diligently study God's word for ourselves. God is able to use the words and writings of other believers to aid our understanding of scripture. That's why I urge everyone to come to Bible study on Wednesday, if, you, if you're able to, if your schedule allows, or to uh, spend time, set aside time each week in a devotion to reading God's word. And uh, I've been trying to, I had talked about before, uh, turning the TV off and opening up God's word. If I spent the time in God's word that I spent flipping the channels, I would uh, be much better off, I'm sure. We've got more verses to read, don't we? Okay, if someone would like to read this.
We'll have confidence at his appearance. This could all be also be translated boldness. God desires that all will be prepared to meet him and will have solid confidence in his return. I believe with every fiber of my being that Jesus is coming back. It's impossible for God to lie. And I don't claim to understand much. And I know even less. But I know what God's word has taught us in scripture. That's good enough for me. I don't have to understand everything. And I don't have to guess the time or the uh, day. But just do as God's word teaches us. Be ready when he comes. Be busy about doing the Lord's work, living righteously, uh, not allowing yourself to be enticed by sin and, and the things of the world because it's all going to be burned up anyway. Focus on the eternal, not the temporal. And we don't want to be ashamed. Sadly, many people do not have confidence Instead, they carry the weight of guilt and shame. However, God desires that his people would remain in him and thus have no reason to be ashamed when Jesus returns. By his Holy Spirit, God leads us to see when others are speaking truth or error. Therefore, the Bible teaches that we need the Holy Spirit to understand truths within the word of God. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, from Galatians 4, 6. Therefore, we will live differently because we are following the way of the spirit rather than the flesh. Our heavenly father will not allow us to wear his name and also live in sin. The pleasures of sin only last for a short season. Then we must face the consequences of our actions. Once we receive Christ, we are to remain in him by faithfully following him. We do not want to be ashamed when he returns. Does that mean that we're perfect? No, we're not. We sin every day by word or by deed or by thoughts that we have and entertain. I don't know how Satan attacks you, but when you sit down to pray, if it's not really intentional there's all kinds of thoughts pop up and I know that they're not of God they're distractions they're enticing you and uh, we must discipline ourselves uh, in our thoughts like that 
as followers of Christ, we have learned that truth is not only a principle to believe, but also a person to know. His name is Jesus Christ. When we grow up in our salvation, we begin to live according to God's truth. Since we have experienced the power of God's truth, we will live a righteous life. Each of us has a testimony as to God's power from where he brought us, what we were before we got saved, and God's working and dealing with us in our lives up to this point. We're not where we started out. But God is bringing us along and continuing to trim the fat, so to speak, that we might ultimately end up in the image of Jesus Christ, the Son. Is it easy? No, it's not always easy. Some of the things that we endure are very painful and hard, but it's going to be worth it all one of these days. We can be sure of our salvation and we can be sure of the truth and the truth that is found through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. In light of Christ's imminent return, are your priorities in the right order? If not, what changes need to be made to rearrange your priorities? Be honest with yourself and ask God to help you with these priorities. Do you know someone that needs to hear the truth? Yes. Perhaps a neighbor or a co-worker, a classmate or a friend. If so, then share the truth of the gospel with them this week. Take it a step further and buy them a Bible if you believe that they may not have one. I've got a bunch of Bibles at home in the garage that I found in the trash through the years and King James translations. I kept every one of them that was King James. Some of the other ones I'm not interested in. That's all I have this morning. I thank you for your time, for your patience with me. Thank you.